I live in Israel. This season is dedicated to the memory of the 1,400 of my countrymen who were massacred on October 7th, and the 240 people that were kidnapped and are being held hostage by the terrorist organization Hamas. Hopefully they will be returned to their families as soon as possible, and hopefully this terrible war will be able to come to a peaceful end very soon. Welcome to Minute 33 of Season 6 of Move Around Minute, the daily podcast where we take a Capra-esque journey through the 1946 classic, It's a Wonderful Life, One Minute at a Time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today is Niall McGowan of the Bat Minute. Welcome back to the show, Niall. Yeah, hot dog, hot dog, hot diggity dog. It's me. <laughs> I don't know, Rob, if you, if you come across, because like, the term hot dog now has been ruined for me by, um, so I used to have to look after a lot of kids uh, and there's the um one of the, the mickey mouse's clubhouse it's like a, a terrible cgi animated thing disney did like 20 years ago uh i don't know if you've ever come across it like it's uh it's it's for really really little kids uh but they have a song in it that goes like hot dog hot dog hot diggity dog <laughs> and it's the most annoying thing in the history of the universe uh, and I found out that it was written by They Might Be Giants, which I feel was like a personal betrayal because I love that band. And then after all this time to find out, like, no, it was them. It was them that drove the earworm into into your temple and uh, screwed around until you were brain dead. That was uh, it was them who did it the whole time. <laughs> so, yeah, basically, okay. They Might Be Giants forever ruined the term hot dog for me. That's what I, And I it was reminded of it. Rewatching the movie when the whole hot dog thing happened again. So uh, there you go. Now that and I, I so George George Bailey might be a giant. So that's what you're that's what you're saying. He's a giant amongst uh, the. I don't know. <laughs> again, I was going to demean the people of Bedford Falls by being like a giant amongst the the the, the tiny people of Bedford Falls. But it's like, no, they're perfectly nice people. Why, why is everyone dumping on the rest of the town all the time? <laughs> right. All right, so episode 33 begins with Potter continuing his diatribe and ends with George showing his true self. Mm. So we, we ended things yesterday with Potter uh, getting a little snippy and not being the nicest uh, uh, about everything. You know, he basically was saying that, that uh, you know, if you're friends with someone at the uh, Bailey Savings and Loan, then uh, you're going to, you know, we'll, you'll easily get a loan. Uh, I'll have to yeah. shoot pool with them and stuff like that. And then he goes, what does that get us? A discontented, lazy rabble. And then today mm-hmm. it continues. And he says, instead of a thrifty working class and all because a few starry-eyed dreamers like Peter Bailey stir them up and fill their heads with a lot of impossible ideas. Now I say... So, I mean, Potter has some pretty interesting stances on on things here. You know, he, he believes as a businessman that... that uh, you know, you you can't you you don't need to have dreams. You just have to work, and that's it. <laughs> you know, I, I I you know you mentioned yesterday the fact that that you know this movie was uh, a lot of people believe that there are com- communist undertones here and stuff like yeah. that. I mean, this this sounds like one of those phrases that they might 
you know, might have caught on to and said, okay, you know, maybe that's what they're getting at here. It's very strange, strange the way that, that, that it all is played out, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you know, by him that... saying that, you know, that you don't have to have a thrifty working class. Like a, the, the term thrifty basically means someone who has, you know, uh, you know, spends wisely and they, they don't waste and things like yeah. that. Yeah. You know, cause he mentions about rabble, you know? So, uh, I mean, like a, a rabble is, is basically, you know, uh, people who, who are uh, on a low social position or a large, noisy, uncontrolled group, things like that. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's just it so inherently classist. Yes. It makes me wonder, like, where where does Potter, how did he start? Is he a guy who, like, was he born into money? Or has he pulled himself up from his bootstraps? Because you think he would have a bit more of a... Uh, you know, even if he's a self-made man, he would have a bit more sort of leniency towards the lower classes of like, well, I've been there, I had aspirations, and look, I made it, kind of thing. But like the fact that he's so dismissive of just like, yeah, everyone beneath me, the poor people, are all rabble. Like that's they're just yeah, you know, people just yeah, he, they're I mean, lazy. Definitely... They're you know, this guy, the, the, it has an inherently like there's there's people in my position and there's people in their position, and never the twain shall meet, kind of kind of vibe Correct. to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we 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 know that that that's who Potter is. That's what he does. You know. So it's 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 funny that you know the way that he actually I don't know it's funny, but it, the way that he looks at the townspeople. You know, he wants to run this town, but he still looks at people. He looks down at everybody there. Like, why would you want to be uh, in charge of people that you don't like? Yeah. You know. <laughs> I, I mean, on the one hand, I understand the the, the idea of, of someone being power hungry and that they want to be in charge of things and stuff like that. But like, what is the added advantage to them to be in charge of people that they don't want to be around, that they don't care about, and stuff like that? It's you know, maybe maybe it's all just a financial aspect that he's saying, okay, if these people are are underlings to me, so I'm going to make more money. You know, I think yeah. that's all he he doesn't care about the people. He just cares mm-hmm. about uh about the financial aspects of it. And you're like, who cares if they all have dreams? You know, we don't we yeah. don't need dreams. <laughs> He's got the um. I just needs a steady supply of like newborn babies that he can suck the souls out of. Like that's 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 why he needs the people there. <laughs> so he has a steady supply of uh you know you know souls that he can consume to uh, replenish his uh his evil essence <laughs> over time. But he's um. No, no, that's a good. I think it might it might be again too. Uh, it might be sort of a. He just wants the position of power as well. He's just like, well, you know, I could I could just let these people go about their business, but like it could potentially there'd always be the risk of like me ebbing into them in some way. So as long Maybe. as as long as he's on top, just make sure that my position is secure and everyone else is still beneath me. He just right. wants that kind of that that you know that throttle hold on the the community, just to have like and then it also can be a thing that he can say to to his other, you know, any other. He doesn't strike me as a guy who has any friends, quite frankly. But you never know; he might go to like a a, a a rich social club or something, and he can always just have that chomping over a cigar, guffawing over the the how much st- stuff he owns. Basically, is um that, that that that's what you get out of life when you're at that at that level of richness and that level of like loneliness. The the only thing you've got left is just to say, "This is all the stuff I've accumulated," and aren't I great for having just amassed all this? Right. That's more or less the way it sounds by the the way that he's saying it. So, and then you know George interrupts him, 
And uh, actually, before that, I'm just going to go back into the whole thing. He says, and, and Peter Bailey stir them up, you know, meaning that, that people will come to the building and loan and it's going to give them uh, hope. Yeah. You know, and yeah. he doesn't want them to have hope. He wants people to, to be in despair. He feel you know, he, he's the type of person that, that says, okay, if people are, are, are feeling bad about themselves or about what they're doing, then they're going to want me. They're going to need me more. I think that's yeah. more or less what, what he's looking at. And but also, like again, goes into like, how did he get in his position? Because like, is he just <laughs> the idea that people might come looking for like a, a leg up or just something to help them out? It's just like it has the kind of attitude like either you have the money already, you have the position, you like saying things like guys are like, oh, you can't work towards this. Like you just you just have to either be born into it or that's it. So the idea of like being able to like have hope and try to claw your way up out of poverty. It's just like, no, no, that's ridiculous. What a, what a ludicrous concept to, you know, to come to someone who'd be able to put you in a position where you could eventually work your way out of debt and things like that is, um, yeah, he's really, really kind of showing his, uh, his true colors here. I think, well, the, the, the fair, I don't think Potter ever hides his true colors. It's probably why he doesn't have any friends. Right. I mean, that, that's part of the, the, the issue here, you know, the, you know, every, everyone is, Acting and saying you know, what they what they truly mean. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a guy too at like um, one of the board members. I'm just trying to discern his look here because he's he's his positioning is like he's he's like the first one along. He's like the furthest on the left to kind of balding guy with glasses. Although there's two of them right next to each other. The guy not smoking a cigar. Yeah. Uh, but he's got a kind of the way he's got his arms folded, and he's kind of like he's kind of it's a very kind of self cradling kind of like um, way of carrying himself, and then it kind of has a slight disapproving look at Potter, like the as as he's going on this like you. I'm just wondering what this what this extras. You're talking uh, about the guy who has his arms uh, folded on both sides. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's a very odd, very odd way of folding your arms. Like, yeah. It just seems a, you know, it's, it's, it feels like a choice. I was wondering what was going through the actor's head of that minute. If this guy's supposed to be like, is he pro Potter or is he is he having to kind of silently sit and go, uh-huh, just like just sit through the diatribe and let's get out of here, or uh, or what what what, what his deal is like if he's if he's pro Potter, what what what's what's happening here with this guy? Yeah, it may, makes you wonder that when they were filming this, I mean, we talked about it obviously on on uh, on Monday, the fact that here we have you know the these these. Uh, uh, background actors that are all playing the board members here and stuff like that. So like how much did they, how much leeway did they give them in order to decide how they want to respond, you know, to everything that's going on? Because this is basically a, th- this whole week so far is a scene between George and Potter. Everyone else yeah. is just, it's just, they're just spectators. You yeah. know, so the, the question here is, okay, you know, what is he, you know, uh, each of them. I mean, you have the guy with the with 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 the cigar, and then you have the the third guy that that looks on the one hand, you know, he's interested in hearing what has to be said, but he doesn't look like he's approving. And then you have the third guy who you just said, which which he has his arms folded in a very strange way, basically, you know, like I don't trust Potter, you know, that type of thing. That that's the way he looks, you know. But yeah. but we'll never know who these people are uh, because you can't really place any of them. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, <laughs> between the, the, you know, the, the way that they're going, 
Yeah. Like the way things are going the other day, that actor might just be sitting there too, thinking like, I've got to be down at Hopalong Cassidy in like 15 minutes. Like, that's right. What, 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 what is this show? Will he get through this? That's right. Will he, will, when will he get through this this uh, soliloquy? You know, that's yeah. like, why don't Barrymore mess this up another goddamn line and we have to do another take? God damn it. That's right. And then uh, George, you know, as he's starting to walk out, he turns to him and goes, just a minute, just a minute. Now, hold on, Mr. Potter. You're right when you say my father was no businessman. I know that. Why he even started this cheap penny ante building and loan, I'll never know. But neither you nor anyone else can say anything about his character because his whole life was. And then he loses his train of thought for a second. And he goes, why? In the 25 years since here, he and Uncle Billy started this thing. He never once thought of himself. Isn't that right, Uncle Billy? He didn't save enough money to send Harry to school, let alone me. But he did help a few people get out of of your slums, Mr. Potter. And what's wrong with that? Why, here, you're all businessmen here. Does it make them better citizens? And doesn't it make them better customers? You said that they, what what, did you say just a minute ago? They had to wait and save their money before they even thought of a decent home. Wait, wait for what? Until their children grow up and leave them? Until they're so old and broken down that they, do you know how long it takes a working man to save? And then he gets cut off. I mean, first of all, this is one of the greatest speeches that George gives in the movie. You know, it's, yeah. it's such a great, because it really shows uh, all of us who George Bailey is. George Bailey is a guy who doesn't want to be there, but he is the right guy in the right time. You know, unlike unlike John McClane, who is, you know, never the, he, he's, he's, He's always in the in in the the you know wrong place at the wrong time. George Bailey yeah. is in the right place at the right time, even though he doesn't want to be there. <laughs> you know, that's that what it comes now, down. To. Die Hard with Jimmy Stewart, like how that would have how that would have worked. Out. <laughs> Perpetually trying to leave the Nakatomi Plaza, like oh wait a minute now, I can't just let these terrorists come in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, uh, no, that, 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 that's exactly right though. He is like even then. Like, he still has that kind of attitude. Like, I don't even know why this business is up and running, but I understand it's the right thing to do. Like, he's just like, I don't know why my dad would even have started this, but I understand that it's helping people. And that's the, even if I want nothing to do with it personally, I can't let it go. Like it's, uh, and yeah, and the, the, that's what really differentiates him from everybody else in the room is that like, even uncle Billy, as we'll see, like in what, two minutes time was kind of quite content to just let it go. That's so right. George was the only one to be there. Like, no, <laughs> no, no one else is going to do it. Then do you think, do you think George is defending things because he, he's doing it for his father? Do you think he's looking at the building alone and saying, this is my father's legacy, so I don't want to besmirch things and I want to continue it because of my father? I, I, th- I think the um, there's, a, there's an element of that in there, but I think it's more what they've shown of George earlier in the movie is that like all the stuff with Mr. Gower was very much designed to show that he's always up for like he he's very understanding of people and, and of trying to help them out at the, in the in their worst moments like it's an inherent thing he had since childhood was like you know he could have he could have done it in Mr. Gower and gone and like you know got him arrested or you know ruined his whole career all that kind of stuff but he was like I I I understand what's happened with you and so I'm going to like I'm not going to tell anybody that this is that you know so you can go on and have a career and stuff like that and so i think it's just an inherent thing of then george's he's the way he understands the town is that like if this goes then everyone's going to be screwed right he's got an inherent thing in his own in his own core being is that like no i can't just let everyone's 
livelihoods go to waste and let this guy take over. So even if his father had been like, his father just retired and walked away, George would still be like, well, no, I have to. No, no one else is going to say anything. I'm going to be the one to say it. So uh, I think it's you know that's a part of you know a, a morality he learned from his dad. So you know yeah. it is a testament to him. It's a, a testament to Paul pa Bailey in general. But I think he would have done this regardless of it. You know. Uh, of whether his dad was dead or not, um, but yeah, because he's he's a he's a good he's a good egg that George Bailey, uh, despite his constant you know open openly open disdain for the town, uh, which right. like, just cut, cut back on that talk a little bit, George. Then you, then then I get one hundred percent on board with you. Right, but what's what's interesting? You mentioned the fact that 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 if this was a different situation where his father was retiring, so. I, I mean, obviously, when they structured this this uh, script, they had to do that his father died because George wouldn't have taken over if his father was retiring. He's taking over because he sees that someone needs to step up and there's no yeah. one else that can step up. And it, again, if his father was retiring, it would be something that was planned. This was not planned, even though, again, w- going back to what we've talked about numerous times this week, he had three months. They had three months to think about this. And, and you yeah. think that they would have thought of some sort of interim uh, decision about it, but they didn't, which is a little strange. Even if it's that Uncle Billy's going to take care of it. Yeah, yeah. Although maybe maybe George is he's sitting there with the the constant terror of Uncle Billy might take over this, and like as soon as he does, uh, well, that's that's the end of everything, basically. Yeah, <laughs> so, completely. Uh, yeah. You know. I mean, hey, also he uses some interesting language along the way. You know, he goes, he says about Penny Ante. Right. He, he, I mean, he completely disparages the building alone. You know, he's he's defending his father, but he's not really saying nice things about the building alone. I mean, he called it a, yeah. a cheap penny ante building alone. Meaning, you know, yeah, like that's, he, that's that's he, my that's my beef with him as a character. It's like, yeah, he's a noble guy. He's doing all the right things, but even then, he's just like, why did my dad ever start up this piece of crap anyway? Like, he's he's got such a dismissive attitude. It's, again, at the end, he learns the true value of it all and stuff. But it's, it's the one thing holding me back on him being like, oh, what a, you know, what a great guy. He's like, let's just be a bit more polite about things, man. You don't have to be so dismissive about, like, everything. But, you know, it's a, maybe that, some people, uh, that's what makes him a more interesting character, is that he actually doesn't really like any of the things, but he has to do it anyway. But, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Right. Okay, no, I understand that. Uh, you know, just it, it's funny the the way that, that the whole thing is is – is scripted about it. You know, he, he again, he calls it a cheap penny handy building and loan, <laughs> but, and then he switches it around and says, but don't, 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 don't besmirch my father's character. His character is what, you know, he, the qualities that my father had is what is the reason people, it's the reason this, this building alone has worked. And the reason that people keep coming back to him. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, um, you know, I think, I think, I think was... that's what it is. Yeah. I think uh, George, as part of his development as well, is as like he's just he, the head, the head full of dreams that he has as well. Is that like so he just sees like everything's small time, small time building, building alone, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, whereas he he's so aspirational, everything's got to be big. And uh, so it's only by it's only at the end then that he sees like the the, the small can be big and et cetera, et cetera, as well. Um, so it is, it's, it is a good setup of character. You know, I'm backtracking on my own points now, <laughs> but um, it's uh, yeah. Also, just have to say too, like I know we'll be talking probably more about um, Jimmy Stewart uh, tomorrow, like as we, you know, one of the segments. But 
Um, he is he's really really great in this film. <laughs> like as well as well as ones going back now, you know, the film's so old and so like it's been spoofed and referenced and you know all the it's it's you know it's been done to death because it's so famous and stuff. Um, but still, to actually go and watch him as an actor, like he's just he's it's he's really like such so on top of his game throughout the whole film. Like it's a it's 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 really really terrific work he's doing. Um, this scene in particular, and you know, really is in the, the later half of the film as well. Um, yeah, just a little little shout out there. Hot take: Jimmy Stewart was a good actor back in the yes. day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So he mentions the fact that that I, I don't understand why my father and Uncle Billy started this business 25 years ago. So if this is 1928, so 25 years earlier is 1903. Mm-hmm. So I decided just to look to see if there's anything interesting. What what interesting things happened in 1903? You know that would be you know uh, you know things things that 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 would be. Fun, fun to to mention. I mean, obviously, 1903. We're not going to find that many movies to to talk about from from back then. There there were movies, but they were they were like you know ten minute movies or stuff like that. You know, you had yeah, all the uh, George uh, Millier stuff. You know, from back yeah, then. Yeah. Um. So first of all, in in 1903, they had the first Tour de France. Ah. It was uh, you know July 1st to the 19th. <laughs> they opened the Taj Mahal Palace Hotel in Bombay. Oh, I'm that year. Right. <laughs> Oval Wright flew an aircraft with a petrol engine. All things know that telling George Bailey this, he'd be like, oh, I, I never got to France and uh, I never got to Bombay. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> really rubbing it into him. Like, oh. Yeah, and and here, like, and here we go. We're talking, about, we're talking about, you know, the first flight out of Kitty Hawk. You know, so it was, it was the first documented and successful power to control heavier than air flight. Um, yeah. uh, here's another. Uh, Bedford Falls also voted the worst town in America as well. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> well, again, maybe maybe it was, but uh, you know, afterwards they were actually able to uh, you know open the building alone, and that must have helped. <laughs> <laughs> That was if so. Pa Bailey finally he saw that in the paper. He's like, that's it. Someone, someone has to do something around here. <laughs> exactly. The very first box of Crayola crayons was made. And they sold oh, them for five nice. cents. And they had eight colors. Do you want to guess what the eight uh, original colors were? Oh, it'll be all of them. I'm going to assume it's all primary. So it's going to be like... Uh, well, there's only three primary colors. So. No, I have to. So you got like well red 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 yellow blue green and so so it's eight so that's four you got half of them so far um black a little bit black in there yes black white. was in there nope no white black and, no white oh, okay uh orange mm-hmm yep okay two more let's go crazy purple nope Oh man, that's my favorite color now. I feel as well like I've been, I've been shafted by the Crayola company. They didn't think it was important <laughs> you and, enough. You and the Joker. You and the Joker. <laughs> uh, pink. I don't know. Nope. Pink's a big color for crayons even now nowadays. Um, hmm. It's gonna go in there. They randomly put like, yeah, Chartreuse was in there <laughs> as well. <laughs> 
uh, gray, but they maybe, well, you know, yeah, gray is worth it. You making a crayon out of, but nope, sorry. <laughs> oh, no, gray. Wow, wow. Uh, brown. Yes, brown. Brown. Okay, so we got one more. One yeah, one more. One more. Oh my god! Now, now, the, now the heat is on. <laughs> I'm just trying to remember colors. It's like I see these things all the damn time. <laughs> it's gonna be. Oh, it's gonna be staring me right in the face too, without, without a doubt. Uh, Not necessarily. Hmm. Hmm. Um, let's go indigo. <laughs> no, violet. Violet. So that's violet. Wow. Seriously, it was violet. Yeah. Holy moly. Yeah, I guess they, they were just like, yeah, throwing in a wild card there out of nowhere. Purple doesn't <laughs> deserve a mention, but friggin' violet does. Get out of here. That's I guess right. they'll be like, oh, it's it's purple enough. It's close enough to it. Get out of here. <laughs> They had yeah. a whole uh, a war between the people going for gray and purple. And they're like, let's try to meet somewhere in the middle. <laughs> and, uh, it's like, oh, with the white. Okay. Makes, oh, what does that get? Oh, violet. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Fine. Get that out there. Yeah. All right. Oh, so wow. what else? Um, Harley Davidson, uh, Harley Davidson Motorbike Company is founded. Hmm? Um, so now they're doing. George Bailey planned to ride his, ride his Harley Davidson to go buy me a box of these crayons I've been hearing about, but they only sell them uh, in the, the five richest countries in Europe. Yeah. And then the, the final thing that I have that, uh, that happened in 1903 was in Chicago, there was a fire in the Iroquois Theater, which killed 600 people. Oof. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> It's a bit, of a, yeah, a bit of a dark one to end on, but uh, yeah. Well, okay. again, there's now now I, I I found six notable people that were that were actually born in 1903. You know? Oh, nice. Here, okay. Uh, you nice. want to guess? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Orson Welles. No. No, um, hey, I, you're you're close. You're close. You you're, you're coming close on that one. So if no, you have Joseph Cotton, <laughs> Elliot Ness was born then. Oh wow. Hey. hey. Uh, Bing Crosby. Mm-hmm. Bob Hope. It's weird uh-huh. now because you always still think of these all these people as being so old, and then to hear like, oh, they're only born then. <laughs> like, oh, well, yeah, but 1903, <laughs> still, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. I mean, as of today, we're talking 120 years ago, these people were born. Yeah, it's only 120 yeah. years. Go on. <laughs> That's right. Um, Lou Gehrig, baseball player. Mm-hmm. Uh, George Orwell. So you said Orson Welles, sort of, you know. Oh, okay. Right. And and then Jerome Horowitz. Do you know who that is? No. His stage name was his. Sorry. That that was his real name, and then his stage name was Curly Howard. Oh, okay, okay. Nice. One of the three Stooges, Curly. So he was born there. I found three people who who passed away in 1903. One of them was uh, Calamity Jane. Yeah. Another one. Orson Welles' dad. He also died in 1903. There you go. <laughs> Roy Bean. Okay. And Alois Hitler, mm. which was uh, Hitler's uh, Adolf Hitler's father. Oh uh, wow! Okay, died then. And uh, the the winner of the Nobel Peace Pro- the Nobel Prize for yeah, physics- his, his father died, saying like, "Oh, my Adolf, what a great guy!" There you <laughs> go. Just like oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and then uh, the the winner of the Nobel Prize in physics that year was Pierre and Marie Curie. Oh wow! Okay. That was, that was, I think that's like the biggest story of all of them right there. Well, yeah. obviously it'll be on the Crayola. <laughs> but yeah. <they're... laughs> yes. So. Oh. Can you can you edit the wiki to put in uh, 
Bailey <laughs> buildings alone founded. <laughs> just, 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 just to see if it gets taken down eventually. Uh, probably, it's probably not worth my time to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, yeah. there's, because it would mean, to take the time. That's yeah. right. Because for me to keep going back and checking if, uh, you know, if it, when it's taken down, you know, I don't really care. <laughs> yeah. You know, that type of thing, but it makes sense. Okay, so that's all I have to say about this minute. You have anything else you want to say about the minute? No, no, no. I was just, I was just really curious out there. Like, I just want to put a call out to why was Jimmy Stewart's an Indiana guy, right? Phil, or Indiana's in Philadelphia? Is that the, uh, no, 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 no. Philadelphia's in Pennsylvania. Okay, well, I'm about to say, oh my God, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not from there, so I don't, I don't know the geography. Correct. Right? Uh, but I think, I think he's an, I'm just, I'm, He's got such a singular voice, that guy. Like, yeah, you know, been doing the impersonation of him the whole time. <laughs> so I just really wondered, like, if, is anyone in that town? Do they also sound like Jimmy Stewart, or what the hell is going on there? Because he's talked so distinctly. It's like when we did uh, when we covered Batman Returns, mm-hmm. uh, we had to talk about Chris Walken, and Chris Walken's got you know such a distinct, bizarre way of talking, and you find like, oh no, his father was like. His father was German and his mother was Scottish, and they grew up in America, or he grew up in America. I guess that's how you get the Chris Walken voice, like growing up in that household. But <laughs> yeah, Jimmy Stewart is like, yeah, he's just a normal guy from from a normal town in Indiana, <laughs> and somehow he sounds like this. I'm just like, yeah, I was wondering if his, if his family all sounded like that, or if you go to that town, it's like, no, everybody kind of talks like this. <laughs> like, well, what the deal was? So I'm, I'm I ask your listeners. Uh, if, they, if they can write in somewhere, hmm. uh, get get back to me on that because I'm I'm genuinely curious. Interesting. Okay. All right. And I, I want to also mention: Did did you notice Potter's reaction while George is is giving his speech? Well, I did. I, I my final note of the uh, minute is callous yawn. That's right. <laughs> because he, he, he the just, whole time he looks bored. Is like okay, get on with it, get on with it, and then right at the end he just gives this huge yawn. <laughs> yeah. Again, though, he's probably because he's been, well, you know, he is his father's son. So he's like, I thought my my days of listening to diatribes like this were over when this guy's di- his dad died. But <laughs> God damn it, there's another one now. <laughs> right. I mean, I think I think he, he's saying to himself, how do I cause another Bailey to get a stroke? Yeah. <laughs> you think it's a performative yawn? It's like, oh, it was the yawn that got his dad. <laughs> like that really drove him over the edge. So Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're getting the, within this minute too. You're getting a, you're getting a lot of Mr. Yeah. Smith energy out of um, out of uh, George Bailey here. <laughs> like he's going into Jimmy Stewart, going back into uh, Mr. Smith mode. I'm just yeah. like um, he's going to be. The scene was actually originally uh, 12 hours long, <laughs> and that that, that <laughs> yawn is coming after everyone else is lying slumped over in their chairs. It's like oh, but uh, uh, the bill he's losing his. It's like, God damn it, George! Just, just let the damn building go, would you? <laughs> <laughs> who knows <laughs> and right so every wednesday uh i have a segment called it's a wonderful wednesday yeah. uh so the whole, the whole idea of it's a wonderful wednesday is that uh, uh in the 77 years since this movie came out numerous uh movies and tv shows that have taken on the idea of this movie and try to use it on its own you know, to show what would happen to characters if they did, if they were, if they weren't, and stuff like that. And so every week I, I talk about a different one of them that, that I've that I've seen. And this time I actually decided to, to go in a little bit of a different direction. And I still remember this from 1986. Okay, so we're, we're talking 
37 years ago. Uh, it, it actually, the, the, I can even tell you the exact date of, of when this, uh, of, of when, when this was on, this was on December 20th, 1986. So as of this recording, it literally is, uh, 37 years ago since, mm-hmm. uh, or as of when this, this show will be dropped, because, you know, this is Christmas week. Uh, so it happened on December 20th. It was a, from Saturday Night Live. Uh, that was the only episode that William Shatner was the guest host on. Okay. And mm-hmm. they one of the skits, I mean, first of all, they, they have so many uh, memorable skits here. You know, the, the opening has uh, him playing... Uh, uh, Oliver North and singing a song about uh, the Iran Contra affair, which was uh, which is great. So you can you can look that up on on YouTube and uh, you know see see that song. It's really funny. Uh, the most famous skit from this episode is the Trekkie skit, where William Shatner is talking at a Star Trek convention and basically tells everyone to get a life, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is is a great one. Again, you can go and, and check that out. Yeah. But the one that's really like, he'll go get a wonderful life though, and uh, <laughs> that was his, that was his redeeming uh, feature at the end. <laughs> <laughs> and then the episode of uh, the, the 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 episode pretty much ended with with a uh, skit called "It's a Wonderful Life." It's the lost mm. ending of It's a Wonderful Life, where basically, you know, it starts off with, you know, they're, they're in the Bailey house and everyone's uh, cheering and he's got all the money. And then Uncle Billy comes in and Uncle Billy goes, oh, I just remembered what happened to the $8,000. And he, he says, I, I, uh, I put it in, in the newspaper and I gave it to, to Potter. And then I spoke to uh, my friend uh, at the bank and Potter deposited $8,000 right after we left. So Potter's the one who stole the money. So they all decide they're going to go, uh, uh, they're going to go to Potter's house and they're going to beat him up. You know, so we see like a, a lynch mob showing up uh, outside of, of Potter's house and Potter starts getting, getting scared and they come in and they start yelling at him and they start pushing him and he's in his wheelchair and he falls on the ground and then they start hitting him with like sticks and then he stands up and they say to him they say wait a second <laughs> you know they could tell that he's been faking the fact that he's that he's in a wheelchair similar to what we talked yeah. about earlier this week and then uh potter is played by uh, john lovitz and he goes now wait a second i can explain that <laughs> and then i was gonna ask actually who's Who's playing who? So I'm assuming this is Shatner as George Bailey. Or no, Shatner was Shatner's actually not in the, the skit. He introduces the skit, oh. and you have uh, Dana Carvey playing uh, George Bailey, and John oh, yeah, John right. Lovitz plays uh, Mr. Potter. And mm-hmm. at this point, they, they they start throwing the body, and you can at that point tell that it is a a dummy. And they like throw it against the wall and things fall off the wall and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just really funny. The whole idea that, that there's some redeeming factor to this whole thing. You know, that they were able yeah. to, you know, to, to, to get back at Potter. I mean, that's one of the things that always bothers me about this movie is the fact that Potter gets away with it. I, I understand as an adult why it makes sense for them to do it that way because it mm. doesn't matter. You don't need to, you know, the, 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 the fact that everyone in, uh, in Bedford Falls saves George Bailey just like he's been saving them for years is the point of this movie. It has nothing to do with Potter. You know, the fact that yeah. Potter, uh, you know, the fact that Potter uh, keeps the money or gives it back or they beat him up, it, it, it doesn't change the fact that, you know, this movie is about humanity. 
about you know yeah. about being able to help your fellow man that type of thing. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's a great skit. You can find it on YouTube. You can go and watch that that skit. Um, it's it's a four minute skit. So mm. you know if if like me you watch you it think- at double speed, it takes only two minutes to watch. You know. Mm. <laughs> I do wonder. I think I don't know if it would be in like more modern films that they would have a, a scene of like in the middle of like uh, everything at the end. There would be some edits to like you know cut the Potter alone in his house or something to emphasize the point. Like, like, you know, everyone's coming to the George, but, like, no one's there. For, Potter's literally there by himself with, like, a little bowl of soup or something. <laughs> or if they would have a, they have a scene of, like, him driving through town and then seeing, like, oh, what the hell is happening out here? And then, like, you know, all these people walking up towards the Bailey household. And then right. him finding out, like, what's happening. And I feel nowadays, or particularly, like, for movies from, like, the 80s onwards, they would have to throw in a scene like that to kind of emphasize, like, oh, the bad guy found out that he kind of lost or whatever. But, um... But no, I think it's, it's, it's the implication will be like, you know, Potter will find out about it eventually anyway, because it end up it ends up with way over like twenty five grand or something been given to uh, to him by the uh, the end of the movie. So uh, you would allow yourself a little, um, you know, head canon fan fiction of uh, yeah. Potter Potter ironically has has a stroke once he finds out about it, and there you go, you know, everything comes full circle. That's right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, great. So, uh, now do you want to tell people where they can find uh, Niall McGowan? Yeah, uh, well, uh, the last two minutes I've been plugging uh, Batman, but I also, me and my co-host do another show uh, called uh, Miami Minutes, wherein we talk about uh, each minute of the a craptacular 1987 uh, Kung Fu classic. Although there's no Kung Fu, it's Taekwondo. Uh, but Taekwondo classic. Uh, Miami Connection, uh, which is was lauded as one of the worst movies ever made when it came out, uh, promptly forgot about, uh, and then rediscovered. Uh, and it's genuinely, I would say, it's actually genuinely a great movie. Like we, me and John, have a much genuine, non-ironic affection for Miami Connection. It is incompetently made in many, many ways, but it's so there's so much heart and soul to it, uh, and um, made for nothing by one of the oddest men in existence, <laughs> YK Kim. Uh, and we've had, been having a great time. One episode comes out a week, and we've been talking about it for over a year now. Oh wow! Uh, we're still not done yet. Uh, but uh, yeah, every every Saturday or Sunday, um, you can hear uh, me and John talk about Miami Connection and riffing on the ridiculousness uh, of that film and everything going on within its uh, '80s martial arts, you know, biker ninja gang. Insanity <laughs> that's uh, been thrown, vomited up on screen. Uh, it's also a full-blown musical at times as well. It's amazing. Um, if not listening to the show, I also would just plug Miami Connection. That's a film in general, uh, which is also available on YouTube, I believe. You can just watch the whole thing in one chunk on there. Uh, and so, yeah, every week you get uh, Miami Minutes uh, covering Miami Connection, uh, which is our, our side hustle, uh, but also great fun. All right, excellent. And while you're doing that, you can go rate, and subscribe, many podcatcher you might be using to listen to the show. Finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find me on Facebook, you can find me on Twitter, and you can find me on my website, MovieRobMinute.com. So, until tomorrow, hot dog. Hot dog, hot dog, hot diggity dog. I love you truly, truly did. 
Life with its sorrow, life with its tears.